Well, as many of you know uh, about my upbringing, I grew up down in South Jersey. I went to college in Philadelphia. And after college, I wanted to venture out west. So I lived in the state of Montana for a year. When I lived in Montana, there was a lot of things I learned. They don't really do things in Montana like they do in Jersey. There's a lot of things I learned, not only things that were very, very interesting about the world we live in, the animals, the geology, all of that, but also just in my relationships with my friends that I built there, I learned a lot about how people look specifically at Yellowstone National Park. That's where I lived. I lived right outside Yellowstone National Park in the town right outside that. It was a year-long youth ministry internship. And one of my friends was the park ranger, and he would tell me stories about how people would come to Yellowstone thinking it was some kind of combination between a zoo and Walt Disney World. (laughs) They didn't think it was animatronics, but they're pretty certain that all of this was controlled like some kind of big ride. So much so that people literally came up to the park ranger and asked him, so sir, where do they put all the animals? Where are the cages for the animals, for them to sleep at night. Can you imagine asking that question? Or God forbid, this still happens. People take their children and they put their children on top of these mammoth beasts, these bison, and then they take a selfie with the bison. How does that work out for anybody? Not very good. Not very good. He told me another story. And once again, these stories are more sad than they are humorous. Someone going on a long hike through a long trail in Yellowstone. And on these long hikes, you have to be prepared. You got to have your water, you got to have your sunscreen, your hat, all this stuff. But you also have to have pepper spray. Pepper spray in case you see a grizzly. Has anyone ever seen a grizzly before? They are grizzlies, right? So what you want to do is you want to have a pepper spray on you in case you see the bear. You spray the pepper spray at the bear. And then, yes, it gets in his eyes and you can hopefully flee. He told me stories, this park ranger, about how people, when they would see the grizzly bear, as opposed to taking the pepper spray out and spraying the bear, they turned it on themselves as if it was some kind of bear repellent. (laughs) And then the grizzly bear, of course, comes up to them and says, mmm, this one's got sauce on it. (laughs) One of my favorites, though, has anyone ever heard of uh, Old Faithful? Old Faithful, the geyser. It's in Yellowstone. And people are amazed by this. They don't understand this. So much so, they come and they look at it. And then they ask the rangers, Sir, this thing goes off really regularly. Where's the on and off button for this? In all seriousness, where's the secret on and off button that turns the water on So it shoots 30, 40 feet into the air and then cuts it off so that it continually goes in the same intervals. Of course, there's no on or off button. The reason they call it Old Faithful is because it's quite the geological phenomenon. It, in fact, goes off every single day around the intervals of 45 minutes to two hours. There's a reason why they call it what they call it. People go and they see and they wait and sure enough, They're not let down. When we come to John chapter 4, and when we hear about this story, this conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well, it's not just any well, 
It's Jacob's well. One of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob, his land, and he literally dug this well. Jacob, who gave this land and its well to his son Joseph, and Joseph, who's buried within 100 yards of this well. It's a very significant well, not only because of its history, but because of its consistency. This well had provided water for its community all the way from Jacob's time to Jesus's time, thousands of years. Every single day for thousands of years, there's been water in that well. You want to know what's amazing? If you still go to Israel today, if you still go to this region today, Jacob's well is still there and there is still a stream flowing through Jacob's well and the well, 4,000 years later, is still offering up water. Isn't that remarkable? So as remarkable as Old Faithful is, as consistent as Jacob's well is, Jesus is going to offer this woman something better. And at first, she really can't understand not only why Jesus is talking to her because he's Jesus, a Jewish man, and she's a Samaritan woman, but also how anything could be better than the well, how anything could satisfy her thirst more than her patriarch, her father's well, Jacob. She even asked Jesus point blank, are you greater than our father Jacob? Jesus doesn't say yes, but his answer implies absolutely. The water that Jesus gives satisfies in a way that not even the consistency, the uh, reliability of that well, Jacob's well, satisfies. Now, as we have this conversation and as we study this chapter for the next several weeks, we'll be in John 4 for the next several weeks, we're going to ask many questions about where we go to quench the thirst that we have. And how many of us know that we are thirsty for more than just water? It's absolutely true. We're going to ask questions about where we go to satisfy that thirst. And yes, of course, you would expect, as it's true, that we're going to talk about these places that we go to quench our thirst that are just clearly destructive, that instantly lead to consequence and instantly lead to heartbreak and division. But friends, if I was going to guess with many of us here, we have to remember that not only is Jesus clearly a better source of satisfaction than any of the obvious spectacular sins of culture. Friends, I want everyone to hear this. Jesus is better than even the most reliable, consistent wells in your life. Jesus and what he offers, his living water, the wellspring of life that he gives, is more, is better, is a greater thirst quencher than those things that we find our refuge in. And friends, we all look for refuge in something or someone when we come to John chapter 4, we are reminded that Jesus supplies even more and even greater than Jacob and his well. Let's look at verse 1, shall we? 
John chapter, one, John chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Let's stop right there. So the Jews recorded time a little different than us. The beginning of the day was 6 a.m. So at the sixth hour, that means 12 o'clock noon. So this is the height of the heat of the day. This was the middle of the day. This was the day when you were going to be probably the most thirsty. And how remarkable it is that John's gospel begins with a vision of Jesus as the Word of God. The Word of God who is God, who was with God, and the Word that God used to create everything. That same Word that created everything, that same Word that is God, is now weary, is now tired. How many of us know that we need not only a God who is in control of every single atom, but what a blessing it is to worship a God who knows what it means to be tired, to be weary. He knows physical thirst, and he is aptly suited to quench that thirst, right? So when we come to this story, what we want to see is a couple contrasts. It's a contrast in conversation, in John chapter 4, the, com the conversation is between Jesus and a woman from Samaria. In John chapter 3, it was a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. And these two people couldn't be more different and still be considered Jewish. Nicodemus, who was a moral man. Nicodemus, who had a great reputation. Nicodemus who was a revered Jewish man, Jesus had a conversation with him. And now here in John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman who is very immoral, a woman who has a very, very lousy reputation, and yes, a Samaritan, a Samaritan who was a considered by the Jews to be half-breeds. What, what, what does that mean? That means in the Old Testament, when you would read about the United Kingdom under David and under Solomon, when you would read about how this kingdom was divided in two, the southern kingdom's capital was in Jerusalem, and the northern kingdom's capital was in Samaria, that when the Assyrians came in in 722, they attacked, and what happened was the Samarians, the Samaritans, those in the capital of Samaria, they start to interwed and interbreed with the Assyrians, which led to a mixing, not only of nationality, but also a blending of worship. Whenever you read the Old Testament, you know that's not a good thing, and that doesn't end well. So what happens is, over time, 
the Samaritans and the Jews have different views about God. The Samaritans only recognize the first five books of the Bible as inspired by God. They didn't recognize Isaiah or Jeremiah. They didn't recognize the prophets. They didn't recognize Psalm 23 or any of David's psalms. They only recognized the first five books, and they didn't recognize Jerusalem not only as the capital of Israel, but as the center of worship. It would be these things, the history and the theology, that led to a huge, not only distrust, but true disgust of the Jews for the Samaritans. They didn't like uh, doing business with them. They didn't like even walking through their town. In fact, some scholars believe that the Jews would, in fact, try to circumvent the Samaritans, travel all the way around the Jordan just so they wouldn't have to be near them. Because in being near them, they might be contaminated by them. This is who Jesus is having a conversation with. What does that tell us? That Jesus loves the Nicodemuses of the world. Those that are up and out. Nicodemus on the outside had everything that you probably wanted. Respected, he was influential, he was admired, he seemed godly and yet did not know where new life was found. Did not know the simple truths of John 3, 16. And now we jump to John chapter 4. It's a different conversation. In fact, it's the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anybody in all the Bible, and this is the message. Jesus has come not only for the religious establishment, Jesus has also come for those who are down and out, those who are immoral, those who have a horrible public reputation, and those that perhaps the religious people think are unclean. How many of us know that there's still Samaritans in our midst today? Now, they might not be Samaritans by name, but man, when you're walking through their towns, when you're hanging out with them, perhaps you hear a headline or a newscast about them, all of a sudden, all this stuff comes flooding to the surface, all these ideas, all these stereotypes, all this judgment. How amazing it is that she, this Samaritan woman, will be the first evangelist of Jesus during his public ministry. It's remarkable that she, the Samaritan woman, will understand Jesus' arrival, the implications of Jesus' coming better than Nicodemus does. It's truly remarkable. It's the same thing with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that one? Probably, right? Is it just about helping someone who gets a flat tire on the highway? No, it could be that. But it's about the one who you least expected. In fact, the one that disgusted you, the one that you hated, turns out to be the one that God uses. The Levi walks by and does not help the man in the ditch. The priest walks by and does not help the man in the, in the ditch. All of a sudden, a Samaritan walks by. The person you be least expected, and he takes in the Jewish man, he cares for him, he heals him, and he makes sure that he's going to be okay. Isn't our Jesus amazing? Doesn't our Jesus reveal God's heart for all people, in all places, from all tribes and all tongues? 
He has come to not only grant salvation, but satisfaction for everyone. And that is his true message, not only to all of us, but to this Samaritan woman. Let's look in verse 7, shall we? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can we say that together? Living water. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of the wa- this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up. The actual Greek is leaping, welling up to eternal life. No, no, note verse 15, our last verse. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. It's truly a remarkable conversation, is it not? It speaks to all of us. Why? Because all of us are thirsty. In the United States of America today, we have more options for more different drinks, variety of drinks, variety of tastes than any other generation in all of human history. I mean, how many Coca-Colas do we really need, right? (laughs) Diet, cherry, vanilla, zero. I mean, the list just keeps going and going and going. We have more drinks and more options to quench our thirst than any generation before, and yet we are still thirsty. We're thirsty with a thirst that water and Coca-Cola don't know how to quench. When Sprite says, obey your thirst, the truth is we will obey our thirsts, but Sprite won't quench it. What we need is something, something eternal, something truly lasting to quench this deep desire in our hearts because we were made for God. We are made for eternity. It's as Blaise Pascal said, I quote him often, we have this God-shaped vacuum in our souls. And the more, that, the more stuff that we throw into our hearts, the more stuff we throw into our lives, the more stuff we throw into this vacuum, The vacuum doesn't get filled. No, in fact, the vacuum gets bigger, just says more. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, if there is nothing in this world to satisfy our deepest thirst, does that not tell us that we were made for a different world? Jesus gives us living water that swells up into eternal life. How many of us know this? And you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head that many of the problems we get into is because we are thirsty and we're looking for the broken cisterns of this world to quench our thirst. How many of us know that alcoholism isn't because of alcohol? 
Alcohol becomes a means by which the disease is created, but the desire, what gets attributed to the bottle, what gets attributed to the bottle is not just how it tastes, but what it does, right? Gives you refuge, it gives you deliverance, it helps you to feel free, it helps you to be not encumbered by any restraints. That's why people run to it. They run to the bottle. Because they're not thirsty just for the bottle. They're thirsty for what the bottle promises. But in actuality, many of us know this, even the best things in life lead us wanting more. You could have a great car. You could have a great home. You could have lots of stuff. You could have lots of pets. You could have lots of different things. And you always have to have more. It has to be more, more, and more, and more. Why? It's because we're thirsty. We're always thirsty for more. Now, many of you know we just had our fifth baby, uh, our little Annabelle Amy, and thank you for everyone that's been taking such good care of us during this time. Um, But not many of you know that I also consider my Jeep Wrangler to be my baby. So really, I have six babies. And I love my Jeep. I love it in the summertime. The top is off, and I love listening to music as I drive. One of the things that makes my Jeep tough is that the CD player is broken. Now, I don't get like really any radio reception at all for whatever reason. I just don't get radio in the Jeep that well at all, right? And my Bluetooth is down, so it's all CDs right now. And my kids wanted to listen to the Disney movie soundtrack of Tarzan. Do you remember the animated movie Tarzan that came out, I don't know, seven, eight years ago? And when I put it in, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is fun. The kids are singing along. I'm probably even singing louder than the kids. I love it. I'm singing it even when the kids are not in the car. I'm singing, I know, I know every single word of Tarzan now. It's really kind of embarrassing. But here's what happened. The CD player's busted. Tarzan is stuck. I can't listen to anything but Disney Tarzan. Friends, the Bible doesn't teach purgatory, but I know what purgatory feels like. I'm in Tarzan purgatory, and I can't get out. The CD won't come out, and I have nothing else to listen to. So what started out as a great, fun thing eventually gets old. Not only eventually gets old, eventually gets wearisome. You actually start to dislike the thing that you love because you're stuck with it, because it's stuck with you. I like how the prophet Jeremiah puts it, talking about how God speaks. Josh, if we could pull this slide up. How God speaks to his people And he talks about two atrocities, two things that we should be marveled at. I'm still, don't have it up here, Josh. There it is. Jeremiah 2 says this. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Now, if you read this, you think, my goodness, this must be pretty serious. What did they do this time? What evil have they committed? What injustice? What horrible thing have they done? Be shocked, be appalled, be desolate. Well, it continues. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why is this so serious to God? Because he knows who he is, 
and he knows what he gives. He also knows the lies and the deceits of the evil one, the emptiness of the world's promises, and how it not only leads to weariness when we turn from the living water, but it also leads to barrenness and, yes, even destruction. Many of us know this. Many of us have lived this. And that's why the invitation comes from Isaiah to come to God, to come to the one who can truly satisfy all of our needs. Hear this from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? That's a really good question, right? You ever stop and wonder, like, why am I doing all this? I get it, you got a mortgage. I get it, you got bills. I get it, you got a boss. I get it, there's pressure, 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 pressure. I get it, I understand it. But let's be honest. Can we be honest? We know what this is talking about. This goes deeper than just paying the bills. This is pursuing and trying to find satisfaction in things that will never deliver, cannot deliver. They might promise deliverance, but they will never be able to live up to that promise. So the invitation of Isaiah is the invitation here today. Not only the invitation today, but also the hope of the church in the future. How does your Bible end? Your Bible ends in the same way that Isaiah gives the invitation thousands of years ago. Let's look at this. uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. This is how your Bible ends. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. God invites over and over and over again. Either we come willingly, or when we pursue the broken systems of this world, we will recognize it painfully. This woman at the Samaritan well, she's curious about Jesus. She doesn't fully understand what he means yet. That's why I got to come back next Sunday. But it says here in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She understands that she has a need. She understands her thirst. The truth is she's had five husbands and she's looked to satisfy that thirst, not at Jacob's well, but a bunch of other men, probably their name is not Jacob, looked for that thirst to be quenched in marriage, in pleasure, in relationships, and it's just failed her over and over again. So even though she doesn't understand it fully, friends, here it is, ready? She wants it. She knows she needs it. And she says, tell me about this living water. Tell me about it. Why? So I don't have to come here to drink from this well anymore. You see, she had great respect for Jacob's well, But the reason why she was there at 12 o'clock noon when everyone else comes in the morning is because at 12 o'clock noon, no one's there. She's not getting judged. She's not getting shamed. She's not getting gossiped about because of her public sins. She says to Jesus, 
Tell me about this water. Tell me about this well. Because not only is she thirsty for her uh, literal thirst, but she really wants to be free of her shame. She doesn't want to come back to this well, back to this continual place over and over again. Is there another option? Is there another place to find true satisfaction? The answer is yes, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for this story of a Samaritan woman that walked up to two wells. There's Jacob's well, and then there's the well and the wellspring of living water that Jesus offered. Father God, the choice is before us as well. This Samaritan woman would hear and would believe and would start to share the good news of the living water of Christ. Many people, though, many people will walk away. Many people will be content with their discontentment. Many people will still try to satisfy their thirsts with things that the world would offer. And God, it would have been enough. It would have been enough for you to give us salvation. It would have been enough for you to send Jesus to die for our forgiveness, to grant us everlasting life. That would have been enough. Oh, but Jesus, you offer not only salvation, but satisfaction as well. Help us to believe it. Help us to believe in the same way when we look to your cross for forgiveness. Help us look to your son, Jesus, for satisfaction. If that's you, if you can tell, if you can sense the Holy Spirit's using God's word to perhaps encourage you or to challenge you, then I'm going to invite you to pray. This prayer is not the end. This prayer, hopefully, would just be the beginning. To truly be immersed in the living wellspring of Jesus, it's not just one prayer, but it's like a child who with exuberant joy sees a beautiful, cool pool in front of him. And he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what people might say. And he's not tiptoeing into that thing. He wants to be immersed in the pool. Let that be our heart's desire as well. Like little children running to the wellspring of life, Jesus. Let us turn from our broken cisterns and return to Christ. Pray this prayer with me, church, would you? Heavenly Father, today I turn from my broken cisterns and I want to return to you, Jesus, the well of living water. So God, I ask for hunger Hunger for your word. Hunger for worship. Hunger to share your gospel, and to use our gifts. Our prayer, Lord, is that as we drink deep of your well, that we would want more and more of it. As we find satisfaction, we delight in drinking deep. 
So, Father, forgive us. Father, lead us. And Father, fill us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.